All right, so you can flick to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll start with verses 1 to 2 and then jump to verse 50. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And we'll jump to verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We've been doing a short series on work. Uh, week one, we, we looked at the idea that we're created to work. Uh, particularly, we focused on uh, the early chapters of Genesis, thinking about God's intention for us. Last week, uh, we really focused in on uh, our attitude in work, or in all of life, really, how to live faithful lives. Uh, and in a sense, uh, they are the sort of good works that we do, if you like. So, created a work, uh, good works, uh, we looked at last week. And this week, I want to focus on that last phrase that came up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, doing the work of the Lord. Created a work, good works, doing the work of the Lord. Uh, they're really shades of different things that the Bible picks up on when it comes to thinking about how we live for God in this world. So let me pray, and then we'll dig in it, into it together. There'll be verses that'll come up on the screen. Don't feel like you're to chase around the Bible too much because I've tried to put everything on the screen that you'll need as we go through. But let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us clearly from your word. And Father, we ask that as we consider this whole nature of work, particularly doing your work in this world, that you give us clarity, insight and faithfulness as we work it out together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'd just taken a funeral and I'd gone across to the sort of hall beside the church to catch up with the family and the friends uh, after that funeral service. And as I was standing there, I saw one of the relatives standing to one side by himself. There's a man in his 20s and uh, so I thought, I'll go over and uh, just say hello to him and find out who he was. So I introduced myself to him, and as you do in those sort of social contexts, you talk about what you do for a living. He had a fair idea what I did, because uh, I'd just taken the funeral service, but I asked him what he did, and he explained that he was a research scientist. And the area of research he was looking at was to do with 
the prevention of cancer, a particular type of cancer, and that he was working on his PhD thesis in association with this. And I said to him, that must be incredibly satisfying. And he gave me this sort of wry look, and he said, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But he said, I, I really wonder as to its value. And then he went and explained. He said, you know, like, I'm working in this area to preserve life, but there are other scientists working in other labs that tell me that our planet can only sustainably, you know, look after about three billion people. And apparently there are around eight billion people in our world today. And so I feel like what I'm doing is just adding to the problem. <laughs> and uh, I came away thinking... I must be more careful with my throwaway comments and social occasions. That was the first thing. But but also I thought, you know, if you get what he's talking about, then you do understand the way the Bible speaks to our lives in this world. You get an insight into the limitations of our work. We've already seen that there's a futility to work. Uh, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes picks up on this brilliantly. In Ecclesiastes 1 verses 2 and 3, it, it sort of poses uh, this sort of statement or this question. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. What do people gain from all their toils at which they toil under the sun? What, what profit is there from the work we do in this world? And the answer the book gives is essentially not a lot. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've seen why which the Bible says work has a significant place in this world. Uh, you know, we're created to work. It's God's way for us to provide for our needs in this world. It's good to enjoy your work if you can. Uh, that's, a, that's a bonus. We saw that from Ecclesiastes. Although if you're working in a sweat, sweatshop in Bangladesh, I suspect that's not the thing at the top of your agenda. How do I enjoy my work? It's, it's a more privileged Western way of thinking about work. It's good to work so that you can contribute to the needs of your family or be generous in relation to other people. It's good to work faithfully to win respect of others that are around you. Those are all good things to do. But the thing with work is it cannot provide you with an ultimate sense of meaning or purpose. Our work can't reverse the damage that's been done in Genesis chapter 3 in terms of the breakdown between us and God. In Ecclesiastes terms, our employment is meaningless or a vanity when it comes to answering the big questions about what life is all about. But there is a work, there is a labour that's not in vain. That's what we heard in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Let me read it again. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. We know that our work in this world has a use-by date. You know, it's the old story, uh, grave clothes have no pockets, you can't take your assets with you when you go to heaven. And it's the same when it comes to work. You won't take the fruit of your work, your manual labour, your activity, you won't take that with you into heaven. 
There won't be any garbage collectors in heaven or nurses or factory workers or politicians or doctors. No one's going to get sick. There won't be any lawyers. There won't be any insurance brokers because there won't be any insurable interests in heaven. There won't be any need from that point of view. Jesus will not be concerned about whether you stayed at the entrance level in your job when you joined a firm or whether you advanced and became the CEO of the company. Those things will be a matter of indifference to God. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, it does seem to be saying that there is a work that isn't in vain. There is a work that will last. So what's this labour in the Lord that's not in vain? What's this labour in the Lord that will endure? The wider argument of 1 Corinthians 15 gives us a clue as to what's going on here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is all about Jesus' resurrection and ours. It's about future, beyond death. It's about dwelling with God for eternity. So what's this labour that endures beyond the grave? Like with um, all books, what you need to do with the Bible is to read it in context, just to see the way in which the ideas hold together and the way in which words are used in the whole letter to see the, the nature of the argument. So I'm going to make you do a little bit of work, not too much work, but a bit of work to understand how these words are being used here. So firstly, I want to ask, who are the workers that are being referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? I'm going to take you back to 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 where it says, Paul's speaking at this point, and he says, for we are God's co-workers in God's service. And at this point he's referring to himself, Paul the Apostle, and Apollos, his partner in the gospel. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10, so the same chapter we were reading on before, Paul the Apostle says, I, Paul, worked harder than all of them. And what was the work he was doing? Well, he's talking about the preaching of the gospel that he was doing at that point. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, Paul speaks of his partner in the gospel, Timothy. He says, when Timothy comes to see you, see that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. So what's the work that these workers are doing? Let me take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. Paul says, Each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw... Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. The work here is uh, very specific. Paul the Apostle is talking about building up the body of Christ, the church. He's talking about evangelism and discipleship, introducing people to Jesus and helping them to grow in their walk with Jesus. We go to a place like 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. It's the same idea. Paul's speaking to this church and he says, Are you not a result 
of my work in the Lord. Uh, this church is a result of his work. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Again, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them. Then in verse 11, so we preached and so you believed. Friends, most of uh, what we do in this world, the, the work we do in our jobs in the language of Ecclesiastes or in the language of 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, that work is essentially in vain. It's not saying it's pointless, but what it is saying is it won't endure into eternity. But there is a labour that's not in vain. And that's the work of telling people the gospel, telling people about Jesus so they can become believers and grow as Christians. That's labouring in the Lord, and that's not in vain. So what I'm going to do for a few moments, uh, having laid some groundwork, is talk about how your work intersects with labouring for the Lord. Your work intersects with labouring for the Lord. Just ignore that slide on the screen just for the moment. We'll get to it in just a second. It's really important for us to keep remembering what our main job is. Uh, That is, whether you have an income or whether you're a student or a stay-at-home parent or retired, uh, whatever your situation in life is, you want to labour for that which endures. That must be the priority. This guy I uh, used to know, Tom Bednall. Uh, Tom's uh, gone to be with the Lord now, but Tom uh, was an older man, and I remember when he was 90, having I had a conversation with him. He was living in a retirement village at this point, and I was asking him how his week was. He said, oh, yeah, it was good. This week was the week where I went around the whole retirement village uh, collecting their subsidies or their payments for their newspapers that get delivered. He said, I'm the person who collects their money to pay for their papers and gives it to the uh, uh, the newspaper people. And I thought, he's 90 years old. You know, I know retirement villages are full of older people, but he must be getting up towards the top end. Why didn't he pass it on to somebody else? He said, no, no, he said, it's wonderful. He said, I get to go around and keep connected to all the people in the retirement village and I get to talk to them about Jesus. And so I get, get to actually catch up with them and speak about my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, understand he was doing good works, collecting the newspaper subsidies. He was serving in a good way. But understand the thing he was doing that was going to last was the work of the Lord. He was labouring for the Lord when it comes to the gospel. It's the same, for example, if you're a stay-at-home parent or if you regularly look after grandchildren. It's tiring. It's incredibly uh, tough work. Sometimes it's unrewarding. And maybe you feel like you're taken for granted at different points. But friends, it is an extraordinary opportunity to invest in the lives of children for eternity. Do you understand that? That is a a labouring in the Lord that endures for all time. Keep remembering what your main job is in this world and the labour 
that will actually endure for all eternity. What I also want you to do is to keep remembering that in your jobs, if you're employed, keep remembering the connection between work, good works, and the work of the Lord. Work, good works, and the work of the Lord. Because the Bible uses those categories in quite different sorts of ways. Do you want you to imagine that uh, there's a brain surgeon, right, and she is top of her field as a brain surgeon, right, the most capable brain surgeon in Australia, and she is a Christian, but she is known for her mercurial anger and the way she uh, dumps on people all the time, right? So incredibly skilled at her job, but godless in her behaviour, the way she treats people, and therefore hindering the work of the gospel. Do you see how the three sort of categories come together? We often get these categories of work confused. The sort of work we're talking about Ecclesiastes is the sort of toil. Uh, it's the paid work we do, but it's gardening. It's any actual activity that's that sort of you count as work in this world. It's the task. When it comes to good works, uh, Natasha read this verse out earlier. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it talks about the fact that Christians are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, at this point, when it talks about good works, the Bible is referring to uh, those activities where we treat people around you with respect, where we don't dump on them. Uh, That is, it's the character of the way in which we carry ourselves, particularly towards other people. But then there's the work of the Lord. Now, here it's not so much about being godly, although you'd expect that would go with the work of the Lord. Or if you look at one, let's say a place like Philippians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle there commends uh, some of the people who are preaching the gospel and doing it from false motives. It's interesting, have a look at it sometime. So they're godless in their intentions, but they're actually doing the work of the Lord for which he gives thanks. You see, their good works are absent, but they're doing the work of the Lord. But normally you'd expect that good works would go along with the work of the Lord. The work in the Lord is actually helping people believe the gospel and to grow in the gospel. It's evangelism and discipleship. Now, the reality is these things can overlap. I'll just flip to the next diagram because your work may provide a context in which you do good works, you treat people very well, which may also provide you with an opportunity to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying they're totally separate, they're overlapping, but they are quite distinct. Peter uh, picks up on this in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he, he uh, talks about how believers should be commending the gospel to others. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, the good deeds, the good works spoken of here, they're in the context of this letter, they're acts of generosity or grace or mercy that are shown to others. But good deeds and good lives are not the gospel, but they often build a bridge so you have opportunity to speak about the gospel and cause them 
uh, made me to ask you what makes you tick. I had a great example of this a little while ago. Um, a teacher in a school context was finding it really tough in the staff room and the conversation that was going around there. And so they thought, what I'm going to do is on the way to school each day, I'm going to read the newspaper and I'll look for an article uh, that will help me speak about something topical but hopefully connect it to what I believe as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So she got into this pattern each day of trying to turn up with a, a conversation starter that she could introduce. And she said she found that if she got in quickly, she could affect the tone of where and the, the content of where the, the uh, discussion in the staff room was going. One morning, uh, she wasn't in the staff room. She was out on yard duty. Now, who are the teachers here or those teacher-trained type people? As I understand it, this is the activity that most teachers despise, right? Uh, being on yard duty. They prefer to avoid it. So this woman was out on yard duty and one of the other staff came out into the yard and started walking around with her. And she said, she said to her, what are you doing out here? I'm on yard duty, but you're not. You know, you should be taking it easy in the staff room. And this other teacher said to her, if you're not in the staff room, it's not worth being there. Wasn't that a lovely commendation of the impact that she had on the lives of the other people that she worked alongside? The good works that we're called to do, they do reflect the character of God. But in God's kindness, they may also give you a chance to talk about the gospel and what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me take it a step further. Should we do the work of the Lord at work? Do you get what I'm saying here? That is, uh, should you evangelise on your boss's time? After all, that's not what your boss generally is paying you to do. And my bosses do, but mostly ours don't, right? Uh, we're not actually uh, paid to do that. For a lot of us, I think, uh, work will be the place where we spend a very large chunk of our time. For many of us, work is actually a place where we spend more time with people than we do with their actually actual family, just because it takes up such a significant period of time that during during every week, more than with neighbours or friends. Uh, so it's critical we're faithful at work, that we're not slack, that we actually support others around us, but for most of us in paid employment situation, uh, there's significant space for social connection and engagement, you know, around the water cooler or when getting coffee or before or after work or at lunch, you know, whatever it happens to be, there's that sort of opportunity. But if you're going to do the work of the Lord to actually have the gospel on the agenda, you need to be quite deliberate about it, um, intentional in order for it to happen. I'm a, a late adopter of technology. Uh, so it's only 12 months ago I started using an electronic calendar on my phone. Right? Only, only that long, right? Uh, but what I've noticed is on my phone, as my days pop up, I can either put the appointments in for each time or I can put in a header. You know, uh, things like you know, your wedding anniversary. Good thing to remember for the whole day, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing, right? Now, can I say, I think when it comes to being faithful in your work context and thinking about the work of the Lord, it's almost like you need to have an 
a header on your electronic calendar that says, you know, today is the day where I will do the work of the Lord. You know, today is the day where I will share the gospel. You know, have that on your agenda. Pray for opportunities at work. See, without that sort of consciously being there, it's easy just to neglect it, I think. Friends, it's, it's really important for us in life to have the right sort of aspirations. I was reading about Steve, Steve Jobs, you know, of Apple fame. Apparently in the 1980s, he tried to recruit a guy called John Scully to work for him as vice president. At the time, John Scully was the president of Pepsi-Cola. Uh, but uh, Jobs was not having much luck enticing Scully to come and work for him. So eventually he tried to put the guy under pressure. And this is what he said to him. Uh, Jobs said to Scully, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? (laughs) Strong statement, eh? Now, of course, here's the thing. Apple never changed the destiny of the world or actually even one human being. It doesn't have the power to do it. But let me compare that with the story that I heard about a person that was being approached by a corporate recruiter uh, to take up a new job. The recruiter was trying to entice this woman into a high-paying and more prestigious employment opportunity. And they were trying to push her over the line and, again, not really having much luck. So this recruiter said to this woman, what's your purpose in life? You know, to try and... Obviously, to work for him before... What's your purpose in life? And the woman said to him, to get to heaven and to take as many people with me as I possibly can. See, that's the aspiration that we all want to have as we think about the work of the Lord. Friends, can I say that our our jobs, our work, our day-to-day activities, they do have a significant place in God's created order. But nothing of the things that we turn our hands to will last. It's all in vain when we think about the nature of eternity. But friends, keep remembering this. Your labour for the Lord at work or home or in social settings, your labour for the Lord at work, that's not in vain. Your labour for the Lord, speaking about his grace and mercy, calling upon people to trust in it, encouraging one another to press on in the nature of the gospel, Your labour for the Lord, that's not in vain. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that uh, your word is clear. It gives us clarity as we think about life, our purpose, our direction. Uh, Father, we thank you that you've created us to be people who are actively involved in work and the activities of life 
Father, we know you've called upon us to be godly in the way we think about other people, serve them and do that with integrity. And yet at the end of the age, Heavenly Father, we know that it is our labour in the Lord, our labour in you, that, that activity of commending you to others and calling upon people to believe in you, we know that is the one thing when that word is sown in people's lives and hearts that will endure for all eternity. Father, we pray you give us clarity around this. You help us not to lose sight of it. That you give us courage, creativity, energy and passion as we seek to commend you to the people around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.